I did a lot of watching, well, binge watching on your YouTube yesterday and today. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, now you know more than you need to I know. I do. It's wonderful. <laughs> Today's guest on the podcast is Dr. Christiane Northrup. She was so much fun. We had such a great time. You probably know her from shows like Oprah and the Today Show, Dr. Oz, Good Morning America. She has been in the media for so long. She's a visionary pioneer and leading authority in the field of women's health and wellness. And this is also very much connected to the unity of the mind, body, emotions, and spirit. So a very holistic approach to health and wellness. We have a great conversation about aging versus growing older and how our beliefs become our biology. She has two books that are relatively new, the newest one being Dodging Energy Vampires and Goddesses Never Age. Those are the two books we talk about. And I just encourage you guys to listen and enjoy this show. This is definitely one of my favorite interviews so far. We had a super time. She's a lot of fun. So hope you all enjoy this interview with Dr. Christiane Northrup. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. We have a special guest today, Dr. Christiane Northrup. Hi. Hi. I'm so glad you're here. Well, I'm glad I'm here too. It's always fun to talk about the things that are the most fun and make the most difference in people's lives with I wish the same you were... 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you were actually here though, because I would not talk to you about anything but your fabulous makeup application and I would get your tips. <laughs> you always look gorgeous every time I see you. I went and looked at a bunch of your YouTube videos and I thought, oh gosh, we're doing an audio recording. I hope she didn't want to do video because I look terrible today. <laughs> no, I, you know, I love the fact. Okay, so I'm in my, you know, black t-shirt, came back from an exercise class. So I was checking, right? Is this going to be, do I need to do audio or do I have to go and, and do something? I know. Uh, you know, but uh, yeah, some of those YouTube videos, you know, I had some really good hair and makeup people, uh, <laughs> you know, because that makes a huge difference. And I want everyone to know that, you know, if you ever do a professional photo shoot everyone looks fabulous because you get someone else to come in and do your hair and makeup oh that's funny that's <laughs> it's funny. the truth i don't think i'm quite there yet i haven't arrived to the point of someone coming in yet <laughs> yeah Those well are goals. just 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 do it just do it once so you can see what it's like and i'll tell you when i first learned that um when i did my first pbs special and, and I saw what you do to go on television or, you know, the Today Show. I'll tell you, the Oprah people had the best hair and makeup people in the world. And Oprah had amazing lighting. So let's be clear. A lot of that, that makes a huge difference. I need Oprah's people. How do we get that, there? I know. I don't know. I don't know how you get Oprah's people, but I know the lighting was unbelievable because I'd look at myself on the show and I'd say, holy cow. I look gorgeous. I yeah, that's right. That, this is the lighting. Oh, well, speaking of goddesses, you have um, two fantastic books out, and I want to make sure we talk about both of them. But one of the things I love, the title of your book, Goddesses Never Age, that is just such a fabulous title because, well, yeah, if you're a goddess, you don't age. Well, I'll tell you, it, that title came right out of my own personal life, so... At the time that I wrote that book, I was in love with this guy, and he was younger, not much, six years is not much younger, and I was, like all women, I was up against, um, oh, all the good ones are taken, and men want women who are 20 years younger, and you know, you're more apt to be killed by a terrorist <laughs> than get married after the age of 40. I mean, just the stuff in the morphogenic field. And I was doing lots of dream work with Dr. Doris E. Cohen. And I had worked with her on my dreams ever since I went to Buenos Aires to dance tango, a sort of um, lifelong dream of mine. And my second day there, I was walking down a main street and a guy comes up behind me in broad daylight 
and snatches my, literally my goddess necklace off my neck from behind. So my neck is all scratched and this gorgeous necklace that a whole bunch of people had gone in on for my birthday, the last milestone birthday I will ever have, by the way. Which one was That I will ever celebrate as a milestone birthday. And, uh, And so then I had to spend three weeks in Buenos Aires dancing tango every night which was kind of a, one of those recreations of a past life. Um, I mean, it felt like being plunged into the darkness where you'd go to these milongas and you'd sit around on the edge and it would be like, you know, pick me, pick me, please dance with me, that kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, so I began to do dream work with Doris. And on one of the dreams, I was worried about my age. And she says in her inimitable accent, but my dear, goddesses never age. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the it. thing. Here's the thing. So back then, I was older. As there's no question, I was older. But I'm younger now, and so I, you know, I don't, I don't think about my age. I don't give my age. I don't swim in that sea anymore because I've learned that it's a paradigm shift and. I know that the messages we give to ourselves by what we talk about, who we talk to, who we allow into our lives. See, we we co-author each other's biology. So the people you're around affect your biology. And so I'm just, uh, if you you do the research, Dr. Mario Martinez studied 700 healthy centenarians all over the world in every continent. And he said they... They share characteristics, whether they're from Mongolia or the United States or Australia. And one of the characteristics is, of remember, we're talking people really healthy, uh-huh. age 100 and over. And he said they all share the characteristic that they don't like to be around old people. <laughs> now, when I say old people, I'm talking about people of any age who can be very, very old in their thinking uh, and in the way they interact, you know, like I don't want to be around a bunch of 65 year olds who talk about their health problems. That is so boring to me. Uh, I just I, I can't stand it. And yeah. um, it, but I can be around 80 uh, year olds. I was just around an 80 year old guy. This was funny. So I'm at a I'm at a memorial service for a guy who got a brain tumor and he'd been an ardent runner. And so all of his old running buddies were around, you know, with their various hip and knee replacements from too much running. But this guy told me that he needed a pacemaker because he overtrained and obviously he didn't know about magnesium. So he had atrial fibrillation and he had a twinkle in his eye. He puts his arm around me. He goes, well, you're the hottest thing here. (laughs) I chased you around the barn a couple of times. And, you know, because he was, you know, I think he said he was 82, but there was something about him that was so sexy and so timeless. He was not old, you see. Yeah. Whereas some of the 45-year-olds were born the bejesus out of me. Right. So no. it's that. It's, it's that mindset. And uh, Dr. Mario Martinez, who did all the research that supported uh, my book, Goddesses Never Age, uh, he said, what you do, and, and by the way, this is confirmed by Lee Carroll, who's an engineer who channels uh, Cryon. And he said, what you want to do, there's a, there's a kind of default setting in the body that if you don't bring in your consciousness, you will get older every year. But if you step out of it and you begin to swim in a sea of agelessness, then you find that the clock actually stops, but you, you need to stop the conversation in your head. So in my case, I do Pilates and I'm more flexible now. I'm taller now. Um, my body is better now than it was 20 years ago. I believe it. Yeah, that's just the truth. It's just the truth because I don't have the discussion of at my age. So when I started tango, you know, I would get some low back problems because you're doing this counter thing with your low back where you're twisting and this and that and the other. And if I had been a normal person, I would have said, well, you know, at my age, I'm sure that I have some arthritis in my low spine and that's what's causing this. So I can't do this. 
But what I know is that fascia patterns and uh, skeletal patterns and all of that change depending upon how you use the body. And the work that I did with Bob Cooley on fascia and resistance flexibility really completely reshaped my body. And I had uh, bilateral frozen shoulder maybe three years ago, two years ago, three years ago, could not put on my jacket. I mean, mm. for a year, couldn't put on my jacket. And I knew, and here's what I want your, your listeners to know, I just knew it was emotional. It's really? very important. Yeah, I knew it was emotional because here's what we do. We go, well, you know, well. I had a patient years ago and I asked her what was going on in her life because she was bleeding between her periods. I said, what's going on in your life? And she bristled and she said, I think this problem is just medical, meaning it's not related to my life in any way, it's just medical. And I looked at her and I said, I would have asked you the same question if you had broken your leg. And then she told me the truth. She'd had a one night stand at a bar. She was terrified that she'd caught a sexually transmitted disease. And, uh, you know, those were all completely relevant to her medical care. So I was able to give her the right care. So I always approach anything going on in my body as beginning with a part of myself that's out of touch with the goddess inside me, that it's not that it's not coming from my goddess self. It's coming from the wounded child self, which needs more love, not less. Oh, I, love I that. start there long before, long before I would ever go to a doctor about anything. Why? Because I know the limitations of modern medicine. It's, it's fantastic. You need a hip replacement, knee replacement, or you're in a car wreck. Other than that, not so great. So I avoid that profession pretty much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's important to note that you are an OBGYN doctor. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm board certified. Yeah. I'm board certified in it. the female erotic anatomy. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I still avoid it because I know what they're selling and yeah. I know how they're brainwashed and I know who runs the profession. Well, let's talk so, about this frozen shoulder again because I find this very interesting. I've, I'm going to be turning... Um, a certain age, which I know I'm kind of with you. I don't really care to talk about it. But right, right, as right. I get older, I get younger. And, and this has happened over the past eight years for me. Yes. So you I know was, what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, I That's know exactly. Right. I was like the oldest 24-year-old on the planet. I had like alcohol addiction. I was just a mess. And yes, I'm much younger and much happier now. And I do this weightlifting stuff that, you know, people are like, oh, you're going to kill yourself. Doing that <laughs> kind of movement is almost 40-year-old. But I have a shoulder thing that is driving me up the wall and I'm doing all the, the proper, you know, work around it and seeing the ART guys, but it's just kind of there. And I think it's so interesting that you say that, you know, we might have an emotional connection that's, that's exhibit, you know, manifesting right. itself. And that's what I feel. I feel like there's just something in me that's causing this thing. <laughs> that's exactly right. So, okay. So my right shoulder and deltoid have started up again. And so here's what I know. It's the final pass through an old, old pattern. So let's just, whenever we have anything, whether it's eyes, whether it's ears, whether it's shoulders, hips, we should look at it symbolically because the, bo the body is biosymbolic. So what are shoulders? Shoulders are burdens. You put your shoulder to the wheel. You're shouldering responsibility. Uh, you're taking too much responsibility for the wrong people or the wrong things. And what often happens is that we women shoulder burdens that are not even ours. Uh, Ann Wilson Schaefer wrote a book called Women's Reality long ago. And she talked about the original sin of being born female is not redeemable by works. Now, I would apply that statement to the feeling side of men as well. Mm -hmm. So we live in a culture that for about 6,500 years has been brainwashed by the rule of the fathers, by the left hemisphere versus the right, uh, so that all the magical wonderful things that are part of life on earth are put down. You know, we need more data. 
Um, you can't possibly know that. How can you know that? Where are the studies? All of the, uh, all of the parts of us that are about dreaming a world into being are put down. And so what we do at a very young age, because of schooling and too much homework and all of that, we shoulder burdens that we never should have and that aren't ours. Or as children, we know that a mother or father is not happy and we make the decision from that little childhood mind that something must be wrong with us. Otherwise, why are mommy and daddy like this? And so we take on the unhealed parts of our parents and that lives in our fascia. Our fascia is the connective tissue of our bodies. It's a crystalline structure. It holds belief and it can be changed. But the first thing is to realize that there's nothing inherently wrong with your shoulder, but it is showing you a place where you have not lived into the fullness of your body. And as we get older, the places we have disowned for whatever reason show us, they show up and they say, we want to live. We're we want you to inhabit us. And we call that, we call that the deterioration of getting older, but it isn't. It's that your body says, if you keep doing this the way you have been doing this, it's not, not a sustainable pattern, and I'm going to show you what needs to be done instead. I love this. I, I love it so much because the shoulder for me, when, I, when you talk about unhealed parts of our past or our relationships with our parents, I mean... I was the slouchy kid and the nail biter, right? I was always told right. to stand up straight and get your hands out of your mouth. And so now I'm just an adult slouchy nail biter. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's not like anything's changed. Um, but I just, I just shouldered that burden, I guess. But, it, you know, and it's funny because I'm working on a book right now and I'm in the book is it's basically brought up so much of my past that I had buried. And I'm sure you know this as, as an author, you start writing and then you remember things and you think, oh my gosh. But I'm in this process right now of everything kind of coming up. <laughs> yeah, but it's, and, oh, it's perfect. And that's yeah. why when people say, you know, I should write a book, I want to say to them, don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do it. You know, I've often said, if you write a book called Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, watch out. <laughs> You're not given, you're not given any wiggle room at all, oh, at all, yes. at all, at all. Yes, um, especially that topic. That, right, right. Now, here's one thing I would say to everybody, and that is we live in a culture in which our built environment and the environment of the people around us does not support structural alignment at all. So, for instance, uh, the work of Esther Gokhale, who has a wonderful uh, thing called the Gokhale Method. She has studied cultures around the world, and she has, and she had in her own life, she had a S5 L1 herniated disc, so that at the age of 21, she was told she could never have another child, and she needed back surgery. And after that, she completely healed herself, went on to have two more children. And her work called the Gokhale Method of Primal Posture shows us how to sit, how to walk, how to realign ourselves the way we would if we were living in a primal tribe. So think about those women who walk with the 60-pound urns on their heads. Mm -hmm. Their backs are ramrod straight. Their necks are straight. Uh, they don't have hunched shoulders. They don't get that dowager's hump. Now, so the first thing we all need to learn to do is to not tuck our butt under. We're taught in this culture to tuck our butt under, and that's the dumbest thing we can do. So we have to sit with our tail like a happy dog, our tail out behind us a little so that we have what's called a J-spine, where the only curve should be between um, L5 and S1. Uh, just the lower part of the back, a little, you know, just by letting your butt out a little bit, but the rest of you should be straight. Mm -hmm. And we, in the 1920s, she said, uh, fashion models begin to slouch as a fashion statement. 
and then furniture began to change. So if you look at pictures of people from the Civil War, for instance, or the turn of the century, I always thought, my God, those people were so formal. It wasn't that they were so formal, they just had great posture. Mm -hmm. Because uh, you know they weren't on screens all day or any of that. So the first thing you wanna do is check your posture. And what she says, and it's funny how you say as a kid, you know, um, put your shoulders back, stand up straight. That doesn't help anybody, by the way. That's completely counterproductive. What we need to do is get our back straight and then our chest, the lower part of the ribs, and the pubic bone should be kind of connected so that the, the back is straight. And then if you just, if we just um, all did this now, so sitting, sitting nicely, just roll your shoulder back and roll the other one back and then the shoulders will assume the right position mm -hmm. instead of this, you know, chest pushed forward, pigeon chest thing that our parents teach us because they don't know either. Right. Yeah. I posted so, on Instagram because I've had tailbone pain since childbirth, you know, ah, 10 years ago. And I posted on Instagram because I just had enough of it. And yeah. I was crowdsourcing. I'm like, I'm standing up typing in my kitchen because I can't sit anymore. And someone, it might have been the article that, or was it Go, Go Clay? Go Clay, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it was. But um, she, someone sent me an article and said, and it had that analogy, sit with your tail up. And when you go to sit down, you want your pubic bone to kind of, you kind of squat with your pubic bone between your legs and sit on with your tail up, I think was the Yeah, because the, the pubic bone should be underneath us holding up the pelvic contents. Right. And I did that and my tailbone doesn't hurt anymore. I <laughs> and know. And now I just sit, you know, I have to think about it because it's a lot of undoing terrible habit, but, and, and, I, and I don't have any trouble with my shoulders slouching either. It's amazing. That's correct. So Esther's work has been life-changing. I went out to Palo Alto and worked with her last January. Um, it's because somebody in a, in a little book signing thing I was doing said that her book, Eight Steps to a Pain-Free Back, did for them what Born to Run did for runners with their feet. And I knew that the running revolution was interesting to me because they pointed out that the more padding you have or the more fancy running shoes, the more hip and ankle problems because no one has ever shown that a running shoe helps with anything. Right. Uh, in fact, the people who get injured the least are the ones with the least padded shoes, though I don't think any human, and I'm sticking with this, <laughs> should be running on pavement for a hundred marathons. I think that's just dumb. <laughs> and I've seen so many runners who have to stop at the age of 40 and then they have back pain and then they get their, their knees replaced. But running is a very peculiar form of addiction. Well, and also you can the, quote running me on that. <laughs> the running barefoot thing. I mean, that goes to a society that doesn't, isn't running on pavement. So yes, yeah. if you if you're running through the forest, you know, that first part of Last of the Mohegans where the guys running down a deer, Daniel Day Lewis, mm -hmm. Moha, you know, that's a cool scene. That running is good. That's we're born to do that. We are not born to run the New York City Marathon or this other thing they have in Queens. I just heard about where, you know, people run around this block for 100 miles or something. Right. You know, the spirituality of running. It's like, no, no, no. That's the addiction of running. <laughs> Well, how uh, much does so, how much, so, I can't even talk? How much does society tell us how we should grow older? No, oh, I love that question because that's what Mario Martinez taught me. He said, "Cultural portals are more powerful than your biology. They, in fact, just teach you how you are supposed to grow older." So let's just look at a couple of those. All right. So I have a, a friend, a tango teacher, whose girlfriend is Korean. And when she turned 30, in her Korean culture, age 30 was, you are over the hill. If you haven't been married yet, if you haven't had children yet, you're reaching your expiration date. Wow. And in fact, for many, many women, 30 is the beginning of the cultural portals. My hairdresser, when she was 29, was told the night before her birthday, what are you going to do now? Like, oh, are no. you kidding me? Then another cultural portal is age 35. The fertility industry brainwashes yes. women into thinking, all right, you better freeze your eggs 
when you're 34 years old because at 35, a door shuts, despite the fact that the vast majority of women have no problem getting pregnant after the age of 35. But there's this big portal. And what happens with the portal is that it informs your biology. So suddenly, you know, if you, if you didn't know any of this, so for instance, the uh, Huichol Indians, a very remote tribe in the uh, Mexican mountains, uh, Brant Secunda is a Huichol shaman. And I met him at a meeting of the American Holistic Medical Association long ago. And he actually came from Queens initially and um, was looking up marijuana in the dictionary back when we had dictionaries. And uh, it said, he was looking up marijuana and it said, see Huichol. And he said, so I went to see him. And he, <laughs> and he kind of died on the way, you know, that, that, the, the story where, you know, they find you, the tribe knows that you're coming and then they find you sort of nearly dead in a cave. Right. You know, well, we knew you were coming. Anyway, he said that the women there routinely get pregnant in their 50s and 60s, routinely. And, you know, I know why that is. They don't have CNN telling them that their eggs are old. Right. Yeah. And we have data from mouse studies. And, you know, if you want to find out what a human is capable of, you have to first do it in a mouse, showing that we regenerate the eggs in our ovaries, despite the fact that we've been taught, I was certainly taught, that we have all the eggs we're ever going to have as a 20-week fetus. Oh, that's and, terrifying. I don't, want, I don't want any new eggs. <laughs> no, no, I know. Well, that's the other thing. And by the way, the number two group of women, the second most common women group of women having abortions are women in their 40s because they didn't think they could get pregnant. Right. <laughs> so let's just, so that's another cultural portal. 40 is obviously a big cultural portal. I can remember coming home from speaking engagements and watching, this was before TSA, watching women meet their friends at the gate with bunches of black balloons when yes. the women were turning 40. So that's another cultural portal. You know, you're over the hill. You don't see that much anymore. You though, don't do you? see it because, because culturally we're changing, which is yes. exciting. Yeah, it's really I haven't exciting. seen an over the hill thing in a long time. That's I great. haven't either, but I remember seeing a banner yeah. that was over the hill for a friend of mine, and they literally put a banner across this bridge in town where they had a, you know, a car with her in it going up the hill <laughs> and then getting to the top and then you know over the hill, and they had her slightly over the hill. But you're right. We changed that because collectively we are all addressing this ridiculous ageism. And part of that is the baby boom generation who basically grew up saying, don't trust anyone over 30. <laughs> you know, and now this is the group that's pushing 65 and 67 and, you know, whatever. So uh, that was a huge cultural turning point. The baby boomers were a huge, huge influence that changed every demographic they've ever been through. And getting older is the latest one that they're changing. So, and also, if you notice, uh, anyone who watched sitcoms in the past, way back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, the sitcoms, mm -hmm. people who were 50 were depicted as very old. Yeah. Now we actually have shows like Grace and Frankie, uh, where these women are sexually active, they're vibrant, they're fun. My daughter says she loves Grace and Frankie. She said, because I get to watch my mother on TV. She is a combination of Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda without the substance abuse. Oh, I love that. I love it. I mean, I I've noticed talking to you, you say growing older. You have not once said aging. So no. obviously there is a distinction for you. Yes, yes. And this is a, a great quote from Dr. Martinez, and it is this. Growing older is inevitable. Aging is optional. So what do I mean by aging? Aging to me means deterioration and decay. Yeah. And so my uh, approach is always that my best years are ahead, that everything is going to get older because growing older is the opportunity to increase your value and competence. Then if stuff happens, 
you know, like if you get cataracts and you have to get your lenses replaced or if you need a hip replacement or if you need any of those things. So what? Right. So what? Now, at the same time that we're, we're talking here in our culture, we now have an epidemic of eight-year-olds with so-called adult-onset diabetes. So it's almost like we have two populations now. We have the population of people who are getting younger, and then for the first time in the United States, the younger generation is not expected to live as long and as healthfully as their parents. Wow. So, uh, but there's, uh, for me, I understand public health and the fact is there are huge forces that like the built environment and all of that, that shape public health. But what I have found in my life and in my practice is that the individual like you, for instance, uh, who were, you were old and now you're getting younger and you made some choices where you are changing your stars, you're changing the course of your life. And that's where I focus. I focus on the power of the individual to change her life, knowing full well that there are massive cultural forces right. that are trying to keep us in our place. What do you say to women who come to you and they are aging? <laughs> and I mean it in the sense that... that no, I get it. No, no. What do you I, say I, to them? Because I understand... Like, I, I am getting younger. I believe my best days are ahead. I firmly believe that with every fiber of my being. But obviously, many people don't. How do we I would say most. Shift? Most right. don't. So uh, I believe that, and this is a message from my, uh, my latest book, Dodging Energy Vampires, where I talk about the, the effect of an old soul on a room full of people. So old souls are those who have lived thousands of lifetimes. I count myself among that group. And we're the ones who've been pushed off the mountain for being shamans or burned at the stake or any of those things because we've always believed in the, in the power of the individual to create heaven on earth. We believe that God comes through us as us. We're the, you know, the, the shamans, the tarot card readers, the crystal people, all of that. Mm -hmm. And so we carry an enormous amount of light just because we've been here so many times. And our energy field is uh, like a air purifier. It literally, our, air, our energy field just heals things. And unfortunately, we also feel things that others don't feel. And we make the mistake of thinking that this has something to do with us. It has nothing to do with us. So empaths have to learn that what they feel when they walk into a room very often has nothing to do with them. Their body is just clearing it. So they're like lint rollers. <laughs> and, uh, and so what I've had to do is... You've got a t-shirt there. I'm just a lint roller. <laughs> just a lint roll. It's like, you know, it's like a mug my daughter gave me, you know, it says everything tastes better with cat hair. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but I, you know, what I find, and it's, it's, um, it's interesting, because recently this summer, I've uh, made some new friends in another place. But um, one of my friends has has other friends who are older than I'm used to being around. And when I say that, I'm not talking biologic or chronologic age. I'm right. talking biologic age. And I find that, you know, when they want to talk to me about health care, right? And, you know, one of them saying to me, well, you know, she's so anxious for two weeks before she has her mammogram, right? And I just look at her and go, I've never had a mammogram. I'm not having one. I've always known it was a bad test. What do you do with that conversation? There's nowhere to go because she's, she's brainwashed by the culture into believing mammograms save lives. I've read the data, and I know that for every life a mammogram saves, they've screwed up about 350 lives with false positives or the diagnosis of stage zero cancer, ductal carcinoma in situ, which you would die with but never die from, and 40% of women who would die in car accidents in their 
40s have ductal carcinoma in situ and once you've diagnosed it then the woman's got this ticking time bomb and why don't you just avoid the entire thing right mm -hmm. do you see how that's a, such a different paradigm so i don't want to have that conversation so the last time i was visiting with these people i thought okay I have to head that kind of conversation off at the past. They think I'm a doctor and that I actually want to talk to them about mainstream medicine. They couldn't be more wrong. So I started off the conversation with, what is your favorite movie? <laughs> <laughs> so I realized my job is to love them as human beings and just keep steering the conversation toward things that are more fun and yes. more uplifting. Well, it's yeah. like that quote, because I'm an attorney. And so I have this thing where I posted, you know, I am an attorney, but I'm not your attorney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really good. So that's you're, really you're a doctor, good. But I'm not your doctor, you know? <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, and here's the other thing. I'm kind of a recovering rescue addict. So I do want to help people avoid the pitfalls of modern medicine, but the brainwashing begins in utero. I mean, it begins with a well baby check or it begins when you're pregnant, where now, you know, they're giving all these women uh, immunizations while they're pregnant. Great. Let's just put toxic heavy metals into the fetal brain when you're pregnant and they believe they're doing the right thing. And so when you believe you're doing the right thing and I, and I waltz in, right, saying, uh, I don't think this is such a great idea. And the American Academy of this and that and the other thing goes along with the thing that I think is a bad idea. Right. Well, it's kind of like telling an ardent Catholic that maybe there's another way to look at things. Although you have to admit, for the Catholic Church, they're finally waking up. Well, what do you do? So I'm going to be a little devil's advocate, but not too controversial because that's not my style. But right. what do you do with people that then receive dismal diagnoses about, you know, a terrible disease and, and they're given a timeline? Like, where does modern medicine and, and all of that fall? Where do you fall then? Okay. So what I do in those cases um, is I'll give you some examples. Uh, Chris Work, W-E-R-K, has a wonderful program called Chris Got Cancer. And Chris, at the age of 27, was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer. And he had surgery. And then before they started chemo, he asked a bunch of questions. And he thought, I don't know if that's such a good idea. Anyway, now he's this glorious 40-something. And he's created a program for anybody and everybody who's just diagnosed with cancer. And he says to them right off the bat, clearly your life is killing you. So you need to do something different. And so he takes them through a program where they ask their oncologist a series of questions. So you begin to do your research. The other place that I send people is uh, the book and the program Radical Remission. And uh, this is Dr. Kelly Turner, and for her PhD thesis, she wanted to study people who had so-called spontaneous remissions. There's no such thing, by the way. Mm -hmm. And she, what she did is she went to PubMed, and she saw that, indeed, there are uh, documented spontaneous remissions from every known disease, including the incurable ones like ALS. And so she but she went and, and wanted to know what these people did. Because when you look at PubMed and you look spontaneous remission, they never tell you what they did, what changed, right? So Chris Carr is a beautiful example, crazy, sexy uh, cancer. Mm -hmm. And Chris was diagnosed with stage four, uh, some weird fascinoma tumor that I've never heard of that's so rare they wanted to do a lung transplant and a liver transplant, but nobody had any experience with it. And I've always said to Chris, that's what saved your life because right. they didn't know what <laughs> they to didn't do. Know how to cut and you. she, yeah, she said, you know, I had to become CEO of SaveMyAss.com. <laughs> and so, so what you do there is 
you now more than ever before. I mean, I was uh, co-president with Bernie Siegel of uh, the American Holistic Medical Association back in the 90s. And Bernie wrote a book called Love, Medicine and Miracles, where he studied who recovered from cancer and who didn't and why. Uh, so there's so much data now. There's so much support for somebody who wants to combine both uh, conventional medicine and uh, other things. There's more data than there's ever been. So uh, Anita Morjani, uh, her book, Dying to Be Me, she had stage four lymphoma with lemon-sized tumors all over her body. She literally died. They told her family she's dead. And then she woke up with this extraordinary so-called near-death experience where she knew who was coming to visit her. They told her she was going to need skin grafts from these huge tumors. She never did. Uh, so her book, Dying to Be Me, is extraordinary. So wow. there's, more, uh, there's more stuff out there than ever before. So I have former patients. I have one who's I met again. She's in her 70s now. And I remember seeing her 30 years ago. And she had breast cancer and sat on a table down in Boston at some of the biggest hospitals and had the top breast cancer experts of the world berating her for not getting standard treatment. Just, she said, I sat there in my Johnny for two hours while they lectured me, mm -hmm. but she didn't do it. She did a macrobiotic diet. Now she's in her seventies and has no cancer. So mm -hmm. I'm very interested in the outliers of the world, obviously, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was going to say, I think we got that. <laughs> right, right. And if someone is not an outlier, you know, that's okay. You know, most people are far more comfortable. You know, like I had a patient who said to me, I asked her something about her breasts and she said, my breasts are being taken care of at the Leahy Clinic. You know, and I looked at her and I said, geez, my breasts are being taken care of on my chest. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, right. think about that. You know, we give, we give the medical profession way too much power, That's in my true. opinion. Way That's too true. much power. Yeah. I loved somewhere I heard you say that belief system, that our belief system becomes biology. And it, yeah, it does. Um, I've... I have, I guess, intuited this in a way through kind of my growing younger <laughs> um, over the past few years because I dealt with, you know, quote unquote, alcohol addiction, and and the addiction therapy world is so interesting Isn't for many it? reasons. Because oh yeah, it you is. have the folks that want to say I have a disease, and you have the ones that say I'm an addict, the ones that don't want to call themselves an addict. I struggle with it because I I drank myself silly for you know 20 years and then one day I woke up and I said I'm going to die if I keep doing this I'm getting older this is stupid I quit and I did and it's coming up on three years and it wasn't necessarily always easy but it has not been hard for me to quit either because I think in that moment my belief system told my body you can't do this this is over move on to something else and I was like okay we're going to do that. And that was the end of it for me. I know. And, you know, people do that with smoking. Yeah. They do it with all kinds of things. And I understand. I mean, I, I kind of love the 12 steps. I do because they're such right. great spiritual principles. But again, you know, and I know that they, they tell you that the disease is cunning and it's this and it's that and it's and lifelong. Powerless. Yeah, and you're powerless. That's the powerless. Thing. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I love about powerless, though, because I, I used to go to Al-Anon meetings because I was powerless over the fact that my patients would not do what I told them to do to get better. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was just plain powerless over it. And I had to come to grips with the fact mm. that I was not their higher power, which pissed me off because I knew I what like they needed that. to do. That's another perspective I haven't thought about. That, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So it was just, so I love the first step. We admitted we're powerless over. And in my case, it's, powerless over my ability to change someone's mind, my ability to change their lifestyle. I, I want to give you an example of that. So um, I gave a friend uh, all, all kinds of information about vitamin, e, vitamin D. 
and the information on having optimal levels of vitamin D, not just adequate, is quite compelling. It's so compelling that a woman started a, a website called grassrootshealth.net because she found out that the top vitamin D researchers in the world, Dr. Michael Hollick, the Garland brothers out of California, their, their data was so compelling and she knew that it was gonna take, as it always does, 17 years before something made it to the mainstream. And that's how long it takes, by the way. Wow. Yeah. So she started this final one. we're not dying because we know. Well, yeah, age. well, that's, that, and that's <laughs> the whole thing. So, yeah. so she started, okay. So the New York Times recently, and some of your listeners will have read this, the New York Times finds some person to say that vitamin D is overrated and we don't need it and blah, 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 blah. So a friend of mine gets that data from his son. You know, the New York Times. So if the frickin' New York Times says it, it must be true. Right. Because as, you know, one of my friend's uh, uh, children, a smart 20-something, said, yes, my mother's God is the God of the New York Times. Like, <laughs> if it's not in the New York Times, it does not exist. So anyhow, so this kid sends his father the New York Times article. They're friends of mine, so I sent them the rebuttal from grassrootshealth.net, which was, uh, you know, all of the information on, you know, for instance, there's a 70% reduction in breast cancer incidence if your vitamin D level is optimal, not just adequate. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so the kid, I mean, this is a smart kid in his 30s, writes back, well, what would you expect from a website that sells vitamin D? Now, it's a 501c3. They make enough to keep the damn thing up with selling vitamin D. They're not brought to you by big gazillion dollar big pharma. Right. But what I realized is, okay, now this is what I'm powerless over. Ready? We're, gonna, we've, we're circling back here. <laughs> this is what I'm powerless over is I'm not going to convince that kid because the way he sees it is they're selling vitamin D, which means nothing they say is credible. It doesn't make any difference to him that oncologists are paid per dose of chemotherapy. That doesn't seem like a conflict of interest because that's the way the mainstream thinks. That's the brainwashing of medicine as a religion. And I need to, I'm powerless over how he perceives things when I know that the way modern medicine thinks is scientism. It's just like any religion. They don't take into account belief. They don't take into account epigenetics. There's a million things that they don't take into account when it comes to medicine. In fact, one of my friends went in for her annual physical and she said, my God, you know, they asked me things like, do I fall? Uh, do I have guns in the house? Do I? And she said they treated me like I was a decrepit old person simply based on my age. Yeah. And that's what they do. So, you, you know, and if you're not careful, I mean, we had a, a thing in our psychiatry department called the senior team, the senior team. If you were uh, admitted to the psych ward and you were 65 or older, when you walked down the hall, someone was supposed to come and take your hand. Oh, my God. No, right? Don't touch me. <laughs> yeah, like, don't touch me. Right, right. So I am powerless over yeah. the brainwashing of the mainstream as it, as it trickles down in the form of a one-on-one -on -one conversation yeah. where it doesn't matter to this twerp that I'm, you know, that I got three New York Times bestsellers. I've done eight PBS specials. I've been on Oprah 10 times, the Today Show countless times. That doesn't matter. No, the New York Times says vitamin D isn't so good and grassrootshealth.net, all the 30-year vitamin D research that these guys have done counts for nothing because grassrootshealth.net sells vitamin D. Yeah. So my job is to drop the rope. I'm not going to have a conversation with that person. And it's taken my entire life to back away from that conversation instead of 
<laughs> instead of biting on that particular fly, yes, <laughs> like I'm a I trout. So I went right? to my annual physical, which I didn't go to annual physicals ever until I had children and then I was scolded. But anyway, so I went and I got my blood pressure taken 117 over some other really low number. My resting heart yeah. rate's 52. Um, my blood work, everything is perfect. I'm a little heavy and I don't like the word overweight because I think it's garbage. I'm very strong, whatever. So everything checks out beautifully. My insides look like they should. And the doctor comes in with a pamphlet of BMI. No. no. BMI to inform me that I, my BMI is, I am obese, which it was like <laughs> 29, um, which is ridiculous. <laughs> because if you saw me, you know, you would not no. be like, oh, she's not morbidly obese. I'm just not, you know, we don't see that. But they, they have this conversation with me. And then at the end of the conversation, she offers me fentermine. And so, okay, that is criminal. That's criminal. criminal. I'm like, you're going to take my great blood pressure and my amazing cardio system, and you're going to give me a drug that can destroy it. Just well, so my also, BMI. <laughs> not only that. Okay, it's so interesting how medicine keeps forgetting. Because fentermine, way back, because I've been in this game long enough to see how this plays out, we know that that stuff can create uh, heart valve problems. We had all these women on FenFen. Um, needing um, heart valve replacements. Right. So this is, this is criminal. It's insane. Yeah. And yeah. also, by the way, BMI, I think my BMI <laughs> last time I checked was 27, you know, and that's like in the not so good area. But it doesn't, um, people who are athletic, like with you, where you're lifting weights, muscle is so much heavier than fat. I have 145 pounds of lean muscle mass. Oh, there you go. That my my lean mass is 145. Okay, so there. If you want me to be at zero percent body fat, then I can weigh 145 pounds. That's right. So, so none of see that's an example of you're an outlier on that normal curve. You're just an outlier, and they don't see that because you walk in, you're a statistic. They're seeing you as part of the herd. And the herd, everyone in the herd needs the same treatment. When in fact, there's enormous biochemical individuality. And by the way, anybody who gets scolded by their doctor for not coming in for an annual physical, which by the way, we know from Kaiser Permanente studies, no one has ever shown that the routine annual physical does anything. There's no, it, it's not cost effective in any way. And when I had patients, I'd sometimes have 85-year-olds who came in, you know, they hadn't been in in 20 years, and they would be sure I was going to yell at them. And I'd always <laughs> congratulate them. I said, right. look at how well you did without having to come in here. Well, <laughs> you know, the thing that aggravated me the most about it is I've worked so hard, you know, belief system becomes biology. I've worked so hard to overcome so much. Yeah. And then this person's trying to give me a belief. They're trying to put it in my head. <laughs> That's right. That I'm going to then take with me and go, oh, my BMI, my BMI, my BMI. I'm that, that's worthy. right. Or, yeah. or you have, you know, you have a little calcification on your, on your mammogram. I mean, how many women, friends have I had where the mammogram shows the calcifications every single year and they get so tired of the, uh, the biopsies, you know, and all the rest of it. Um, it's like, oh, my God. We know that if you get an MRI, do you know that 40% of people who have no back pain have abnormal MRIs that mm -hmm. would be associated with pain if they had pain. So there's enormous limitation to our screening and to our testing. Enormous, enormous. So well, how do we how do we raise children? You mentioned that you know children are getting older at a younger age. How how do we raise children that continue to stay young? just by being young ourselves, it's the very best thing you can possibly do. I mean, I think about, you know, my granddaughter, you know, so she comes over and, uh, and we do silly things and she sees me, uh, you know, riding my bike over to her house and all the rest of it. So, and my own mother uh, did the entire Appalachian Trail in her 70s. She did the 200 highest peaks in New England, many of them unmarked with her, with her good friend, Anne, uh, when they were in their 70s, 80s, um, they did all kinds of stuff. They took my mom's camper all over the place when they were in their late 80s, early 90s. So I have a, you know, an imprint for agelessness 
that I've passed on to my daughters and will pass on to my granddaughter. So the best thing you can do is just be who you are and model it. You just model it. Yeah. My yeah. kids are always asking me how old I am. And I'm like, I don't really know. That's what you say. <laughs> and I just do say, know, I have no idea. I, you know, they, and I go, how old do you think I am? And they'll say, uh, 24. And then sometimes depending on the day, you know, 74. <laughs> well, you know what <laughs> I crying. say? I, there, I, I want to give a couple numbers that I think are worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, Tony Rosa is a plumber who was, quote, killed, end of quote, in a hit-and-run accident in the Bronx when he was in his 40s. And uh, Tony was taken to the hospital, and he went to heaven and uh, had an amazing trip and then came back. And he said, in heaven, uh, nobody is older than 33. That's the age when Christ died, which is a symbolic number. So he said everyone reverts to age 33. So what I would say is don't, uh, you know, don't ever get older than 33. And you can say your age until 33 and let that be the last birthday that you attach an age to. That's I would my lucky stop. number. <laughs> yeah, good. And then yeah. it's a spiritual mastery path number. Right. Stop the um, milestone birthdays. Like don't have a 40th, don't have a 50th, don't have a 60th, don't have a 70th. Don't do that. Uh, have a big birthday party. You want to celebrate a solar return because getting older is the opportunity to increase your value and competence. So what I do every year is I literally make a list of everything that I have loved doing that year, everything I've accomplished that year. And then on the day of my birthday, I read that aloud and I celebrate it. And I'm always astounded by how much has changed and how much has gotten done and all the rest of it. I so that's it. what you do. I love it. So one more question for you. I've had so much fun, by the way. <laughs> this was really fun. Um, so the podcast is called yeah. The Same 24 Hours, meaning yeah. we have the same 24 hours in our day, but it's what we do with those 24 hours that leads to our greater health, happiness, and success. So what is something that you, Dr. Northrup, do on a daily basis that makes your 24 hours great? I have put up a pull-up bar, a chin-up bar, in my bedroom and I do not do pull-ups on it, by the way. What I do <laughs> is I hang and I put my feet on this stool and I hang so that the fascia of my back and my torso lengthens out every morning and I can feel the scapula relaxing. This will help your shoulder, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I would, and I feel the chest muscles relaxing and it's releasing a lot of fascia around my, uh, my shoulders and so on. So I just do that hanging every day, every morning before I get going, and then every night before I go to bed. So that's one of the things I do. In addition to I always lie in bed when I wake up and make a note of whatever I dreamed. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a pull-up bar that I put in a couple of months ago and I don't use it in the morning, but I should. But what I have gotten is an inversion table and I use that at night. And that's really been helpful with lengthening, you know. Yeah. I well, the main thing taller. is, yeah, like don't do the pull-up. I mean, that see, to <laughs> me, just don't do the pull-up. I, I started, by the way, trying to do the pull-up, trying to hang. And it was just too uncomfortable and I was beating myself up and I had a childhood where we did a lot of beating each other up with right. athletic stuff. So I didn't want to do that. So now it's this sort of gentle thing. And I go, don't worry, honey, this is just going to make you taller and you're going to yeah. feel good. That's awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much for your time. I had a great time and I'll post this up and all the links to your new book, goddesses never age and dodging energy vampires, which we didn't talk a lot about, but, um, I would like to sometime. Maybe we oh, can okay. have a redo. <laughs> that would be fun. Okay. All right. Thanks Thank so much. for you guys. My book, Triathlon for the Every Woman, is being re-released in March of 2019, and it's available now for pre-order. So I know you guys love the same 24 hours podcast, and I appreciate all of your amazing reviews and ratings. And I also would love the support 
of a pre-order on this book. If you guys are interested in the sport of triathlon or you have anyone who might be, this really is a great book, if I do say so myself. But um, pre-orders are a big deal in the book world. Like, who knew that ordering a book six months in advance was, like, actually helpful? <laughs> it's not really helpful for, for the reader, but it definitely helps out the writer. So if you guys are so inclined to head to Amazon, pre-order a triathlon for the every woman, I would be grateful.